One of my personal heroes of my faith is my brother-in-law, Trisha's brother. His name's Chris. And Chris is just an amazing believer, an amazing Christian. Chris, uh, the Chris that I knew growing up uh, was a very different guy. He was, uh, he was not at all a Christian when we were younger. And then suddenly, Jesus took hold of him. And, and when Jesus took hold of him, he took hold of Jesus. And he has this amazing faith and such a genuine spirit and a desire to serve. He's on mission trips constantly. He's doing things for other people. He's just got an amazing servant heart. And when Megan, my oldest, was little and, and his kids were little, we would get together for family dinners. And Chris and his wife, Lisa, taught the kids that prayer before the meals. You know, the, the prayer that you teach kids to pray before the meals. God is great. God is good. Let us thank Him for our food. By His hands we are fed. Give us, Lord, our daily bread. Amen. And the kids would bow their heads and pray, and then they would look at their plates and they would say, Ew! <laughs> I'm not going to eat that! But we made them eat it anyway. And what I love about that prayer is the focus on the goodness of of God. It's right up front. It's right at the beginning. God is great. God is good. And, and that somehow by, by knowing that prayer and repeating that prayer and, and loving that prayer, it prepares us for a world of things that are not good. Because sometimes the food is not good. And we fed the kids a lot of food that wasn't good and wasn't particularly good for them either. Uh, but, but sometimes... The, the prayer doesn't say that the food is good, does it? It says, it says God is good. And sometimes life isn't good. And I think about the difficulties that our families have had in the intervening years. Because in the years following teaching the kids those prayers, we have faced sickness and death and fire and difficult diagnoses in, in both of our families. And without that prayer, without that focus, it would be very easy at times to forget that God is good. And we live in a world, we live in a world where very few people know that prayer. I bet there are very few kids growing up learning that prayer today. And, and as, as few of them that, that know that prayer, I bet there's even fewer people that know that God is good. And rather, instead, their experience with this world has been that there is nothing good. There's no goodness in the world. And if there's no goodness in the world, then there is no hope. And yet, as we've seen over the course of this month as we've looked at the fruit of the Spirit of goodness, this is a fruit that we are to bring into other people's lives. Jesus said that we are to be a light to our world. He said that let your light shine before others so that they might see your good deeds and that by seeing your good deeds they might praise my Father who is in heaven. Paul prayed for his friends there in Thessalonica, and I think it's a great prayer we can pray for each other, that God would take our good intentions, and through the power of Jesus in us, He would take our good intentions and turn them into good deeds, and that the people in our lives would see the goodness of God through the good things that we bring into their world. And then we come to Peter. We're going to look at 1 Peter today. And there in 1 Peter, Peter is writing to Christians. And he's writing to churches that have been scattered. They are in various communities in Peter's world there. And Peter, in fact, calls the, the Christians in 1 Peter chapter 1, he calls them exiles. And it's a reminder that this world is not your home. You're just 
passing through. You are in exile. And so the world is not your home and the standards of this world are not to be your standards. And the way that you live, the way that you treat other, other people, the things that you value, people should see there's something different about you. We need to understand that. We need to understand that for ourselves, that there needs to be something different about us than the people in the world around us. But just as importantly, we need to see that for our world. Our world needs to see that in us because if they're going to see the goodness of God, they need to see it in us. And so Peter begins in 1 Peter chapter 2. The, the first three verses is all we're looking at. If you want to follow along in those blue Bibles in front of you, it's page 1014. Uh, the notes are available on the internet. The, the internet did not get knocked out this time when the, when the lightning hit. That's good news, wasn't it? Right there. And if you notice in the first verse, 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 1, in my Bible, the very first word is so. In your Bible, some Bibles, the word might be therefore. And anytime we see the word therefore, the word so in a text, we realize that the strength of this text, the focus of this text, is coming from something that we've read before, something that we've seen earlier. In other words, when you see the word therefore, you have to go back and find out what it's therefore. And so we go back. What is What's the th what is the impetus of this, of this text? And, and it takes you back to chapter 1, where Peter is talking about the gospel, the good news, the good news that Jesus Christ has changed us. And in 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 22 and 23, we find the reason for our therefore, for our so. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 22, Peter says, Having purified your souls by obedience to the truth, for a sincere brotherly love, Love one another. Love one another earnestly from a pure heart. Since you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable through the living and abiding Word of God. You have been born again. And what you have been born again of is not perishable, it is imperishable. That is a change that is to be in our lives. But if we were honest, we give way too much time and energy and attention to things that are perishable, to things that will not last through eternity. I have really good news for you. You know that bad attitude that you wake up with every now and then? You got one of those? Every now and then you wake up with a bad attitude, you wake up with a bad mood? It's perishable. One day, you won't have that bad attitude anymore. One day, you won't have that bad mood anymore. When you're in heaven, you will never wake up on the wrong side of bad. It's just not going to happen. You're not going to have that bad attitude. And here's even more good news. You know that one person that drives you nuts? You know that, that one person that just gets on your nerve constantly? Every time the phone rings and you see it's her, you're like, you know? You know what I'm talking about, right? Let's all just name that now. <laughs> One day, their bad attitude is going to perish. One day, her bad attitude is going to perish. It's going to be gone. And yet, how much time, energy, and attention do we give to talking about and going on about somebody else's bad attitude? Because every time they're around us, they put us in a bad mood. One day, that's going to be gone. And so, instead of getting hung up on things that are temporary, things that are going to perish, how can we show the goodness of God? How can we focus on things that are eternal? That's the so that Peter begins with. Chapter 2, verse 1. So, 
because all that stuff is temporary, because all of that is, an, is, is not eternal. So put away, put away all malice and all deceit and hypocrisy and envy and all slander like newborn infants long for the pure spiritual milk that by it you may grow up into salvation if indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good. And what Peter's saying is if we have experienced God's goodness, then we should want to share God's goodness with other people. And if, if that's true, it's going to require some changes in us. And one of the things that Peter shows us is that we help people experience God's goodness through the things that we put away. Through the things in our lives that we put away. We are spending this year talking about the fruit of the Spirit. You guys remember the fruit of the Spirit, right? The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Your mom used to do the same thing. She'd mouth the words right back to me so I'd get them all right. We were spending the year talking about the fruit of the Spirit. This is a list of virtues that we have in Galatians chapter 5. The Bible's got a lot of lists of virtues. Every now and then you'll find one of those lists in the Bible. 1 Corinthians 13, love is patient, love is kind. That's a list of virtues. It was a real easy way to communicate in the first century because they were easy to write, they were easy to remember, they were easy to recite. So they would just use the list of virtues like the fruit of the Spirit. Every now and then we find not a list of virtues though, but instead we find a list of vices in the Bible. And 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 1, is a list of vices. So put away all malice and all deceit and hypocrisy and envy and all slander. Now, I don't think we need to spend a year talking about this list, do we? We don't need to take that list and go month by month and say, this month we're talking about malice. I think you know what malice is. I think you know what hypocrisy is and what deceit is. We don't need to cover it. That is the list of the anti-fruit of the Spirit. Because if you look at the things on this list in verse 1, nothing of God can come from the items on that list. Nothing good can come from those items on that list. And so Peter says, put them away. And literally, what he says, the way he says it, he says, you should have already been putting these away. He's kind of saying, I shouldn't even have to tell you this. These things should not be part of your life because if you go back to chapter 1, you've already been purified. Because according to chapter 1, when you gave your life to Christ, you desired a sincere love and these things have nothing to do with sincere love. And you have been born again. So you should already be putting these things away because you cannot have a healthy, nurturing environment where these sins exist. This is not a foundation for trust. And if you're in a place where these things exist, whether that would be your home, your family, your workplace, or your church, if you're in a place where these exist, they will only breed distrust and pain and paranoia and division. This is a list of items in Satan's toolbox. And Peter says, get rid of them, put them away, they don't belong in your life. Two weeks ago, Friday night, I was just about asleep. I've been laying in bed doing some reading, just getting ready to, to call it a night, and I hear Grace. Gracie was going upstairs to her room. I heard her open the door and go upstairs. 
I heard her shut the door upstairs. And as I'm starting to think about falling asleep, suddenly I hear Gracie running. I hear boom, 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 boom. And I hear her slam her door. Boom, 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 boom. She comes down the stairs. And then I hear her at our door. Bang, 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 bang. And I said, what? She opened the door and she said, Dad, there's a bat in my room. And I said, oh, that's okay, sweetie. He's not going to eat much. Uh, maybe put a pillow down and a little cup of water and just let him. Let, I, I didn't say that. I said, are you sure? And she said, I heard it squeaking, and I thought maybe it was a moth. And I'm thinking to myself, Grace, I'm sorry, moths don't squeak, okay? So, but I'm like, are you sure it was a bat? Did you see it? And I said, she said, yes. And I said, how big was it? And she said, this, it was this big. It felt like this big, but it was this big. And I said, oh, fine. And I got up, and I got dressed. I got armed. I got a broom, because... Bats are afraid of brooms, I guess. I don't know. Anyway, so I get a broom. And for the next hour, it was all-out war. Uh, and when I say all-out war, I mean for me, because Grace and Trish were hiding in the bedroom. Uh, but they were at least aware that the bat was in the house. Connor was asleep on the couch. He couldn't care less. It could have landed on his face. Wouldn't have mattered. He was out. But I just want to tell you this. If you ever want to get your family all together working on a project, release a bat in the house because they will put their devices down. They will drop the phones and they will get involved one way or another. They may go hide in the, in the bedroom, but they will all get involved. But for the next hour, it was all out war. We've got to get this bat out of the house. We didn't mess around with it. I mean, it was ugly. It, it didn't belong there and we had to get rid of it. And I just want to point this out because this is being recorded audio only. This is being recorded and this will go out on the internet and as you know, bats are protected in Illinois. Bats are protected. So I want to make sure that anyone listening on the internet, listening on the internet, that they know that the bat is fine. It's fine. It's living somewhere else now. That's all I want to make sure it gets across so I don't get sued for, for doing something I didn't do. Anyway, verse 1. He says, these things in verse 1, they don't belong in your house. These do not belong in your house. And don't play around with them. The reality is, I know, I know intellectually that a bat is relatively harmless, right? I know that they're harmless. I know that he's not interested in me. He's probably more afraid of me than I am of him. But, you know, he's relatively harmless, and, and he actually does some good things. They, they eat mosquitoes and stuff like that, and that's a wonderful thing. There were no mosquitoes in my house that night that I was aware of. Maybe the bat had eaten them all. I don't know. But the bat still did not belong in my house. And, and the reason I wanted to get that bat out of my house, you know why I wanted to get it out? Because it's ugly. It's ugly, and it's chaotic, and it flaps, and it's just awful. Why don't we want to get these things out of our house? Have we forgotten how ugly they are? Have we forgotten that, that malice to, to maliciously attack someone, to attack someone with the purpose of hurting them, whether that be something you say maliciously, what, something you gossip maliciously, or something you do maliciously, have we forgotten that that's ugly? What about hypocrisy? Have we forgotten that that is ugly? Have we forgotten that, 
Envy is ugly. What, uh, ugly. what about slander? You realize that the name Satan, we could easily translate the name Satan as the slanderer, right? So that when you slander someone, if you say something malicious against someone, you're really doing Satan's job for him right there. Have we forgotten just how ugly these things are? Do we put away slander or do we say things like, I probably shouldn't say this, but let me tell you what I heard. Or I know this is probably gossip, but I need to tell you. Do we play with these things? Or do we get them out of our house? Do we treat them for what they are? They are ugly. They are evil. They are destructive. They don't belong in our lives. And the thing is, if we leave them in our lives, if we don't get rid of them, that's all people are going to see. All they're going to see is the ugliness. All they're going to see are those bad things that are in our lives. They're not going to see God's goodness. And so Peter says, put these away. And instead, he tells us that, that we need to, to crave something else. And what he tells us is that we help people experience God's goodness through the things that we long for. He says, put these things away. Rid yourselves of these things. They are not good. They are not healthy. They will not help anyone find God's goodness. And instead, he tells us in verse 2, like newborn infants... Long for the pure spiritual milk, that by it you may grow up into salvation. Instead of infecting our lives with this list of vices in verse 1, he calls us to crave that which makes us healthy. And I love his illustration here, like newborn infants. Babies are born with that craving, aren't they? They're born with a, a craving for, for the mother's milk. And, and we understand that you know, on the most basic level, that's just hunger. But we also know that there in that mother's milk, there are antibodies that, that help the baby fight off bacteria and, and infection and viruses. That, that that mother's milk lowers the risk of asthma and allergies and other illnesses. And Peter is telling us that we need to crave that which is going to do us good. Now, there's a lot of things that we should long for. There's a lot of things that we should crave. But I really think what Peter is pointing to is back to verse 23 of chapter 1 where he talks about the Word of God. I think he's pointing us back to the Word of God. You think back to, to, to Jesus. Scripture is so foundational to who we are to be and what, what our life is to be based on and the health that we have. You think back to Jesus being tempted in the wilderness. Satan says, Turn these stones into bread. And Jesus responds in Matthew chapter 4, verse 4. It is written. It is written from the Bible. Man shall not live by bread alone, but on every word that proceeds from the mouth of the Lord. Psalms chapter 1, the very first psalm. Psalm 1, verses 1 through 3. Blessed is the man or the woman who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked, nor stand in the way of sinners, nor sit in the seat of scoffers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord. And on his law, he meditates day and night. He is like a tree. Get this. He is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in season. Yields its fruit. Let me tell you, you cannot produce the fruit of the Spirit without a healthy foundation. You cannot produce these qualities without nurturing yourself on the Word of God. 1794. Long time ago. The year was 1794. And an eight-year-old little girl by the name of Mary Jones, eight years old, Mary Jones gave her life to Jesus Christ. She fell in love with Jesus Christ. Now Mary lived in Wales, 
and everybody in Wales was poor, but Mary's family was exceptionally poor. Her father was a weaver. There's not a lot of money in that. Eight years old, Mary Jones gives her life to Christ, and she immediately knew that she needed a Bible. She had to have a Bible. Now, the nearest Bible to her home was two miles away at a farmhouse. Closest Bible that she could reach was two miles away at a farmhouse. And so Mary Jones, eight years old, started saving her money to buy a Bible. It took her six years. Six years. And in 1800, after she had collected enough money, Mary Jones, now 15 years old, set off to a town where she could buy a Bible. She heard that a man in that town, a man named Thomas Charles, was selling Bibles. That town was 26 miles away. And Mary Jones, 15 years old, walked. And yes, she walked barefoot over the mountains. 26 miles to go buy a Bible from Thomas Charles. And when Charles heard her story, when she got to his house and told him her story, she was, he was so moved by her story that he established the Bible Society, which still exists today. And the job of the Bible Society, what they, what they seek to do is, first of all, they, 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 help, they sponsor translations of the Bible. They'll translate the Bible into a new language for new people to, to read the Bible. But also, the, the job of the, of the Bible Society, their, their goal is to give away the Word of God. They will give you a Bible. And today, you can go to Cambridge University, and if you're at Cambridge, you can go to the library, and you can see Mary Jones' Bible that she saved for six years, it's on display. But that's not the legacy of Mary Jones. The legacy is, if you want a Bible and you can't afford one, someone will give you a Bible. That's the legacy of that 15-year-old girl who hungered for the Word of God. Now, i got to say, I'll be honest, I don't think we get that today. I don't think we understand that kind of craving. I think we've filled ourselves up with candy and, and sugar, and, and I don't think we have any appetite for the, for the pure spiritual milk anymore. Not like that. Not in our society. I think we've pretty much entertained ourselves stupid. We've just entertained ourselves to death. And unlike Mary Jones, the nearest Bible to you, it's not a two-mile two walk. It's not 26 miles away over the mountains. The nearest Bible to you is probably at your fingertips all the time. You, you can look up anything you want at any time, and yet how often do we really take advantage of that? How well do we crave that? And more to the point, if, if we don't feed on this, if we don't crave the Word of God, then then where will our world see God's goodness? How will they know the goodness of God? And what Peter shows us here is that simple call of the, the fruit of goodness. What he's showing us is if we've experienced God's goodness, then we should share God's goodness. If we've experienced it, we should share it with other people. You can't help but hear that in verse 3. If indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good. Has God been good to you? I hope He has. I, I know He's been good to you. I know you can acknowledge that. And I know a lot of you can acknowledge the goodness of God in the face of troubles. Horrible, horrible troubles. I think about that prayer that my brother and sister-in-law taught our kids. God is great. God is good. And I think about what's happened in the intervening years since our kids were little and they were taught that prayer. My sister-in-law got cancer and she passed away. They, they had a fire at their house before that. They had a a son who was born premature and who died at a very, very 
young age, and I think about the diagnoses that are, we've experienced in both of our families and the struggles that we've had in, in both of our families, but none of those struggles, none of those difficulties have taken away from the fact that God is good. I love that Peter says, taste. Now that you have tasted that the Lord is good. You might not know this about me. I know you guys, some of you have known me for a very long time. You may not know this about me, but I love food. Is that, is that news? It's not news. You guys know that I love food? I love food. I love everything there is about food. I love all kinds of food. I love the whole experience of food. I love the food experience. And people will call me. People will call me and they will say, we're going to be in Indianapolis. Where should we eat? And I don't say Cracker Barrel. No, I don't do that. Uh, McDonald's, we'll do that. I say, well, what are you in the mood for? Because if you want pizza, I'm going to send you to Basbo's for pizza. If you want chicken, I'm going to send you to Marianne's for chicken and waffles. If you want seafood, I found this new place this summer that you've got to go to. But I, I want you to have the best experience possible because I have tasted that it's good and I want you to experience that taste as well. And I love that Peter says, now that you have tasted that the Lord is good. He's, he's quoting Scripture, by the way. He's taken that from Psalm 34, verse 8. Psalm 34, verse 8 says, Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who takes refuge in Him. And what Peter is saying and what the psalm is saying is that the goodness of God is not just something that we learn. It's not just something that we learn by repetition. God is great. God is good. It's not even something we simply believe. It's something that we experience. You experience the goodness of God, and then it's something we want to share with other people. And there is built in, there's an implication in that word taste. And you know the implication, it's there. The implication is that it tastes good. The implication is it's enjoyable. The implication is that you, you enjoy it. You hear that now that you have tasted that the Lord is good. This idea of taste is not what we used to do at home where someone pulls the milk carton out of the fridge, gives it a sniff, and says... This doesn't smell good. Here, taste it for me. Yeah. That's not this. <laughs> That's not what Peter is doing here. Built into it is the idea that it's good. You have enjoyed God's goodness and you want other people to enjoy it as well. You want to tell them how God has been good to you, how He's answered your prayers, how despite struggles, despite difficulty, despite heartache, He's never left you. And instead, He's given you this confidence. He's given you this peace. And you know, part of that, part of that isn't just telling them about God's goodness. Part of it is showing them God's goodness. Part of it is leading them to God's goodness. People will ask me, how do I get to this restaurant? And it's like, I don't know, it's like a homing pigeon. I know how to get back to restaurants. It's like, how, people ask me, how do I get to moonshine? Well, where are you starting from? Because the answer is different depending on where you're starting from. But I can get you to Moonshine. How do you get to Moonshine? How do I get to the Black Dog? Well, are you going to the one in Champaign or Urbana? Because there's two Black Dogs. And uh, which one do you want to go to? And I can gladly tell you how to get there. But you know what I would rather do? I would rather go there with you. I, I would, you know. I'd, I'd rather take you there myself or go there with you. We'll, we'll all go together one way or another. But but I would rather show you, I'd rather tell you, let me show you where I had the best meal of my life. Let me experience it with you. And I wonder, could there be something of that 
in our experience of God's goodness? Could there be something that says, let me take you to a place where people love me through a very difficult time? Could there be something of, let me take you to a place where when my, when my mother died, they were there for me. When we got a rough diagnosis about my son's life and, and what to expect, and we didn't know what was coming next, those people were there, and they loved me through that. When our family was hurting, they were there, and they, they proved to me that God is good. Could there be something of, let me take you to a place where you will not find malice and deceit and hypocrisy and envy and slander where you will not find slander tolerated? Can I take you to a place where you will not find those things tolerated, but instead you'll find the goodness of God through the way these people love you? And I hope we're a place like that for you. I hope that's the kind of place you've found here. I hope you've seen the goodness of God here, and I hope it is something worth sharing. There are, there's a lot of pain in this world. And you know, Christians aren't immune to the pain. We get sick. We get hurt, we struggle, we struggle with bills, we, we struggle with, with our jobs just like anyone else, but what we, have, what we have is the promise of God's goodness and the ability to show that to other people. Taste and see that the Lord is good and make sure others can experience that goodness through you as well. Let's stand and pray. God is great. <laughs> God is good. Lord, that, that one fact has caused us to cling to You when our worlds have fallen apart. When sickness and pain and depression and disappointment have overwhelmed us, we have held on to the fact that You are good. It's not just a prayer that we've repeated. It is a truth that we have tasted through Your presence and through the presence of others who have loved us with Your amazing love. And so, Father, there's a world of people around us who have no experience with Your goodness. They know us, but they don't know You. And there might be moments when we're tempted to evil. When we, when we might be tempted to act with malice or hypocrisy or envy or, or even slander. And, and in those moments, take hold of us so tightly with Your goodness that, that we want to share that with them. And if they've never known Your goodness, let them know it through us. To Your glory. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.